0: We've only got 45 minutes for this, haven't we? Um, although, you know, I'm happy to go on a little bit. If you want to stay a little bit longer, you can. Um, so I don't need to rush off. Um, and we're talking about, um, I guess, bounce back as much as anything else, aren't we? And talking about how do we stay motivated? And, uh, how do we uh, make the most of our ups and downs and create an energy for performance, no matter what the circumstance or situation? Um, and people always say to me that, um, you know, who's going to win this golf tournament this week? question I get asked quite a lot, is, who's going to win the golf tournament this week? Um, and I always say to them, myself, I'll tell you exactly who's going to win. And at that point, they always lean in because they're wondering where they're going to put their tenor or, you know, um, what I'm going to say. And I say, I'll tell you exactly who's going to win. The person who's going to win is not the person who makes the least mistakes, but the person who um, uh, reacts best to the mistakes that they make. Um, and it's a really important point that, uh, that the people who win golf tournaments, people who win Premierships, the people who win in business, aren't the people who make the least mistakes. They're not the people who experience the most failure at uh, sort of least failure it's, um, it's the people who learn the most from the failures or mistakes that they make and um, so the emphasis or perspective has always got to be on learning now I did a little piece this morning for one of my clients Amazon Web Services um, and um, I, we talked about uh, what resilience looks like what bounce back looks like what success in the current climate looks like um, and it was really interesting because it seems to fit in with most of my clients at the moment and I'll list a few things because we've only got 45 minutes or so I'm not going to talk to you too long. Um, I'll probably just talk for five or ten minutes up front and then we can hand it over to you. Um, how many people got on the call? 30 odd people. Okay that's good. Um, I would love to get to our um, end of time and for everyone to have something from it. So that probably doesn't happen if I just talk at you. It'll probably happen if you get a chance to ask some questions. Engage, argue and debate um, and in true sense of community um, make sure that we are sharing with each other. Um, so a few notes for you though to kick us off. Uh, and that, is that beeping someone joining time is that what it is it is yeah oh, fine that's okay fine okay um come on,
1: leaving not already anyway
0: okay fine okay someone's joined good <laughs> well, i hope you enjoyed the session thanks ever so much <laughs> and then um, fine so look here's some things for you which may or may not be useful but um people who seem to be maintaining motivation the longest People who seem to be uh, creating an attitude for performance. Here's some notes that I've taken in relation to what they've been saying. And, um, so lots of people who are doing well in their teams are celebrating activity rather than outcome. Uh, what does that mean? It means that we should celebrate the personality or character of our teams, which is, enable, achieve, which is enabling achievement more so than the achievement itself. So if you win a contract, if you do something, um, Uh, Which is good in regard to outcome. You can either say well done. This is a great outcome. Brilliant um, Super and pat yourselves on the back or alternatively you can say "Um, Well done guys and because you two um, team members came together or you two teams came together and your problem solving was great in these three areas and The people who seem to be celebrating activity and culture uh, are certainly creating a more sustainable way of creating a team team dynamic which um, reflects the performance that they're after. So when you celebrate a objective or outcome or output, it is binary, you achieve it or you don't. um, But if you celebrate the activity which got you there, it can be sustainably successful. So the best sports teams and business teams are values-led and their values, a character, doesn't change no matter what the circumstance. So you win some, you lose some, Uh, whether markets are good or not good, the character and value stay the same. So we need to celebrate character and value more than ever. So, or values, sorry, more than ever. Um, And again, some of the larger organizations I'm working with at the moment are having a real real emphasis on values. So making sure that um, they are playing out their values in all their interactions, be it internally or externally, and placing a real emphasis on culture. Um, the uh, next one I wrote down for you was good questions. Um, people think as leaders and then we need to give good answers. I don't think we do at the moment. I think we need to ask good questions. We need to challenge the assumptions that our business is built upon. So challenge what we're hearing, challenge what we're seeing and challenge what we are thinking. There is beauty in the chaos okay, if and okay, how we decide to challenge it. So the world is disrupted in such a way that um, we need to question what we believe to be true and um, and see whether it still holds um, fact or not. So um, many organisations and teams will be having Zoom calls to talk about objectives. What progress are you making? How far have you got with this? uh, When no one has Zoom calls for serendipity, to bump into someone, no one has Zoom calls to um, do anything with real meaningful cultural value at the moment because it's so hard to be together when we're over this sort of platform. And, um, but I think if we can ask questions which are not um, based upon outcome and metrics, um, it can be incredibly insightful, but also very motivating. So questions that we should be asking our team members on our calls is maybe to have five minutes at the beginning uh, where we say, what have you discovered this week? Um, What surprised you this week? Um, Where are you experimenting at the moment? uh, The answer to that, Simon, is not in your basement or attic. It's a question about, Adam, what you are doing in regard to your process, procedure, and relationships. Adam, so where are you experimenting at the moment? Um, and when you start asking questions like that, And what's happening is two things. That one, we're showing that we're not just going to talk about metrics and numbers. This is not just about process and outcomes. Um, but it's really about trying to get people to think differently and create new outcomes by creating different perspectives. Uh, so I was on a sales call the other day. Uh, with a software company, um, and the first question is a round robin. And there's like 25 people on the call. Round robin. I said, "What have you? Um, what surprised you this week?" Um, and some people will say, well, you know, what surprised me is that how much more patient I've become with the kids. At her. But someone else said, you know what surprised me this week? Um, so I've managed to sell something of this contract lens. People haven't been buying it. But you know what? It um it seems to sort of change the change, you know, turn the corner here because people are now buying a contract of this lens. So two things have happened. Is that one until people are sharing and connecting and talking about a variety of things which are not necessarily related around the purpose of the call, but also it's no motivational because now other sales are thinking hang on a minute so you managed to sell that that's really interesting okay well that's um that's good news and so it's motivational when we start asking questions about where people are experimenting what they're discovering what they're enjoying what they're learning uh, and then we start to share in a different way you'll be surprised how much insight you get but also how much motivation you can get from each other um third bit which goes i guess with um Uh, with experimentation is the importance of play. Um, Here is a depressing fact for you. Did you know that we learn most between the ages of one and three as a human being? You know that? It's amazing, isn't it? Between the ages of one and three, we learn the most, um, which is incredibly depressing. Um, And the reason why it's um, uh, a fact that we learn most between the ages of one and three uh, is because we do nothing but play. So if you look at kids between one and three, all they do is play. And um, so they'll try and do something, it won't work, and they'll try and do it again. That's so what they do, try and be better. So they see everything as play, and so therefore engages the, engage their brain in a way and, um, which allows them to enjoy the learning process. So we don't do that. And, uh, what we do is we work at them instead of play. And in fact, so many golfers, for example, I've worked with and I'll say to the golfers, what are you going to do now? And they say, I'm going, to go, I'm going to go to the range and do some work. No one ever says I'm going to go to the range and do some play. But play is incredibly activated. So what we need to do is to find new ways to experiment through play. So let's play with the parameters. Let's play with the idea that we're three times more expensive. How do we sell? Let's play with the idea that from tomorrow we give away our service for free. Not gonna charge for this. Now let's play with the idea um, that we could communicate through this channel rather than just use all these other channels. So once we start to put more play into our teams and into our meetings and into our thoughts, we engage different parts of our brain, um, but we also get an opportunity to enjoy the process of creation. um, So um, we um, are born necessarily imperfect. So uh, we come into this world not knowing all the answers, we go out of it not knowing all the answers, which does prove that our only purpose on this earth is to learn, develop, and grow. How do we learn, develop, and grow if we're not indulging in play? Or how do we learn, develop, and grow if we're not prepared to fail? So what's really important for us um, is to understand that learning and growth and development will come through play, rather than endeavor, hard work, uh, and toil. So what is demotivational is realizing how hard we have to work at the moment. And uh, what is more motivational is is to understand that because of the chaos and disruption, we can play our way into a better future. So when do you feel most engaged and most interested and most excited? Uh, Is it when you write out your to-do list? No. And, um, you feel most engaged and most excited when you are um, uh, playing with the kids. And, uh, when you're playing with your friends. And, um, it might be a sport and, uh, or it might be, um, you know, um, I don't know, betting on a football match. And, um, but whatever it is, and, um, when we indulge in the idea or notion of play, we are much more engaged and, um, and it's still an opportunity to learn. So if we could put more play back into our teams, let's have half an hour where we talk about this have 20 minutes where we try this, guys. we put more playback into our teams, our leadership style, and the way in which we own our businesses, and even work with our clients. But, um, it may create a different feeling, and so therefore a different action. Um, one more thought for you um, uh, is that uh, it's really important to be purposeful. So um, being involved in minutiae, and have been involved in detail, um, is really hard work at the moment. I say first things first, second things never. So if everything is important, nothing is And home, let's make sure that what we are doing is being purposeful. So some good questions to ask, what am I doing today, which is creating impact? At, um, you know, where, um, where is my energy best directed today or this week? Um, what will significantly move the dial? You know, what can I do a small amount of which will result in, a bigger out, in, a biggest out, in the biggest outcome? So um, ask some questions of ourselves to make sure that we are being purposeful and expansive and ambitious in what we're seeking to achieve that um, you know, rather than treading water or maintaining a position. Um, just some thoughts from my conversation this morning, some conversations I've been having. They may or may not be useful to you. I really don't know, but but, um, let's try and make our sort of 20 minutes or so from here useful. So feel free, if you wanna ask something very specific about um, motivation, productivity, uh, bounce back, um, uh, creating more energy in your teams, particularly if people aren't doing so well, uh, we can talk about that specifically. If you want to ask something which is more macro level, a business level or client relationship level you can do that too. Um, Let me hand it over to you uh, and I say feel free to engage in any way that you like. I'm here at your disposal. Also, the other thing is that you know, there's lots of people on this call who no doubt are doing this incredibly well at the moment. It would be nice to hear from them too. So it's not just about problems and issues and questions. No, if, um, if you found a way of making this work, and I'm sure many of you have, um, feel free to, um, to jump in and share. It's the whole point of the community. I know Simon is a really big believer in it, hence the members-only network, her, and there's great power in it.
1: So thank you very much, Jamil, um, terrific start. So I think the way that we should do this, guys, I, I'm gonna, I've got a question which will kick it off. Whilst, whilst that's sort of being answered, perhaps you guys can think of something that you'd like to share, a challenge that you've, um, that you've faced your, that you want to overcome, or as Jamil said, a celebration that you might want to, um, to share. Um, literally, there's no need to ask the teacher at the back, just um, literally just jump on, take your mute off and um, and ask it. But um, I think, Looking at the, um, the the people here that we've got on this chat, Jamil, you've got organisations that are um, yeah, independently owned, um, and it's just one or two of the people in the organisation. You've also got somewhere there's there's many more. I think on average we've got sort of an SME size of roughly fifteen to twenty size of organisation. But if you were, uh, if you're on your own, for example, and you don't have necessarily that team to go and input this to, um, what is it that you're that you should be looking at to motivate yourself and navigate yourself through this? What questions are you asking yourself? I know you touched on it a little bit, but how do you go about doing that? We don't necessarily have anybody to share it with on your, in your day-to-day four halls at home.
0: Yeah, okay, fine. So, um, are you asking for a friend? Someone who's got no friends? <laughs> <laughs> You've got no one to speak to, what do you do? That's what you're saying. So, this has turned into a one to one, hasn't it? Yeah. And, um, so, uh, sure. yeah, if you are working on your own in isolation, it is harder, definitely. Um, but safety and numbers, you know, and I think that what we should do is that we should look at um, always building communities, partnerships, and networks. And um, so, look for support wherever you get it. It's a really hard time to be on your own. Um, and I think that we should always extend this network. So, um, you know, our customers, you know, clients and candidates, you know, are not there to grow our businesses. Um, they are there to be an essential network and partnership and, um, for us to indulge in so we can achieve mutually beneficial, sustainable relationships. And um, So, you know, I guess that if you see yourself as a business owner working in isolation, that's hard. If you see yourself as an essential, um, a part of an essential network or partnership, it's easier. So you now we can see clients and candidates you know, as part of our business at um, so not as customers at um, but um uh truly um, part of a network that we can handhold each other into a better future. So everyone is after context and everyone's after insight. That's what they're after. People aren't after sales messages. um, They want to know that we're part of something. So um, at the moment, community is out trumping bureaucracy and hierarchy, I talk about it all the time. um, So let's look to form communities. So don't be on your own is the first and foremost. Um, secondly, and, uh, you know, if you are sort of driving your own business, and, um, I think what's really important is to create perspective. So if things aren't what you wanted them to be, and, um, but they can you can still have an idea on readjusted success. So business is a game of continual adjustment. And, uh, it always has been. So the way in which we learn to dance on a shifting carpet rather than see the rug being pulled from under our feet is it constantly change what we perceive as success. So you might need to minimalize your goals, and, um, but as long as you are mo- make, moving forward and making advancements towards it, you know, all the better. So um, have a look at how you can review what success looks like. Uh, so you're not just becoming a slave to metrics which may not be attainable, but making sure that all great achievements are the result of many small achievements. So what are the small achievements? what are the things which are going to take you as an advancement towards that bigger goal, no matter what it is, um, and make sure that you're being purposeful. And what I mean by that is that um, purpose isn't just about goals and objectives and targets. Purpose is about what's meaningful to you. So have a genuine think about what's meaningful to you. You If uh, what's meaningful to you is providing great customer service or listening or um, or building a network or enjoying your work or being passionate about changing lives, whatever it is, go back to your original reason for being. I'm convinced that all businesses start for a reason other than money, convinced of it. So, you know, people don't just set up a business because they want to be rich. Um, you know, I think that very, very rarely happens. You know, I think people set up a business because um, they, um, they want to provide a service and um, you know, they want to uh, fill a gap. They've seen a need. Um, They want to um, create something, and how they want to um, enable others to do something. So I think that when we start going back to our original reason for being, we can always um, realize why we seek to fulfill it. So you know, I'm uh, all the entrepreneurs I work with who have been incredibly successful, amazingly successful. Um, They've always um, they've always been purposeful. So purpose is not achieved; it's attained on a daily basis. Um, That's why they continue to work. And um, it's because they're not achieved. It's attained on a daily basis. So they're totally fulfilled in something that they've done daily. And and that's not based around a metric. It's based upon expressing themselves. So, you know, we need to be, um, uh, have more examination and introspection in regard to where we feel most fulfilled. Because we can always continue to um, express ourselves in that way, you know, and enjoy the fact, that we are playing into our variety of relationships and touch points, you know, in a way in which we want to, and we feel passionate and engaged about. So it's a time almost to reconnect with our purpose. And to know, it's a time to, you know, to, you know, become more, you, know, you can become more even insular and, um, and still be happy because no matter what's happening in regard to circumstance and situation, we need to express ourselves to be fulfilled.
1: A uh, totally bias that, Jamil. you know that, um, you know everything that, that we do. The network is, is based around that purpose. How? Here's you know, one just, port- just
0: on this note, sorry, sorry mate. I mean, just, just on this note, it's funny actually. I was talking to a sports person yesterday, a golfer, a really good one, and I said to him, that, you know, when you win, how long does that feeling last? And I said, probably a day, day and a half. Yeah, and you think about it, that you know, sports people will work all their lives, literally work all their lives and then maybe win once or twice, um, or maybe win once or twice in a year. When Phil Mickelson was second in the world, second best golfer on this planet, he was winning twice a year. And um, so 38 times he was losing. um, So it almost proves that that the winning, the outcome is not necessarily important. We almost need to celebrate our activity, celebrate our productivity, celebrate the expression of ourselves that's allowed that allows us to feel fulfilled because outcomes are one they're temporary. And secondly, um, they're not always, um, they're not always there to be determined by good inputs. So, you know, you can do the right stuff and get a bad outcome and, uh but and you can do the, the bad stuff and do the wrong stuff and get a good outcome. That's why I work with so many leadership teams who confuse luck for genius yeah they made sort of dreadful, <laughs> dreadful decisions it's worked out brilliantly and um you know and they confuse luck for judgment so you know it's not um, it's the activity that we put in which we should be celebrating at the moment and uh, the outcomes are um, are sometimes more variable at um, yeah, than perhaps we would like
1: so how how then um, do do people and i'm pretty certain there's lots of people on on here that are working towards a purpose, but how do we instill this message into teams that have been possibly taught something the polar opposite to this so all of a sudden yeah. we're, we're driving purpose and and passion and what have you into an organization or into a, an individual that has been told it's all about it's, it's not necessarily all about but it's about the placement it's about the tangibility it's about the pound note at the end of the day how how, how do we switch that because i get the sense that uh, notions just to just do the day job now, just make as much as we possibly can out of this situation. But what you're talking about sounds like it's something that takes a while to achieve. So how do we achieve it?
0: Well, do you know, I think that, I think leaders and businesses go wrong when they focus upon what they can have rather than what they can be. So, um, so you've got to think about what you can be in the context of the current climate. So, um, so it's not just about, I understand they need to make money, but I say purpose maximisation will always drive profit maximisation. So the more purposeful we can be, I you, so being purposeful to you is great customer service, you know, uh, our ability to listen brilliantly. Um, I think if we do these sort of things well, then um, I think we stand a chance of making the money anyway. And um, so, you know, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think quite the opposite. And I think that in a downturn or in difficult markets, um, to go back to purpose is incredibly important. So, you know, reputations are being revealed. And I think that, you know, if you've got a reputation um, for um, something which is of quality and real and meaningful value, then I think that people will find <clears> it. So you know, your clients will reveal themselves to you rather than you have to push outwards to get them. And um, so, you know, I do think that, you know, we need to go back to purpose anyway. Um, and then secondly, and, uh, you know, I do think that um, it's incredibly um, demotivating for people to be measured simply on outputs at the moment so if you do enough of the right stuff then you're, you're by chance by probability you should get enough of the, the, um, the right outputs and I think that um, going back to decision making so our focus really should be on our ability to make great decisions and choices in the current climate um, and I'll tell you for why but um, you, going back to the, my point that you can make a good decision and get a bad outcome and you, or you can make a bad decision and get a good outcome and um, so um, we only ever understand our decisions based upon our outcomes but our outcomes are only known um, retrospectively so it's a really bad way to understand whether you're making good decisions or bad decisions in business what we need to do is to understand the intrinsic quality of our decision making process and, um, so now let's say you get stuck on the M25 um, and you say, oh, it was a, it was a crappy decision, and, um, you know, got a bad decision, um, but it wasn't a bad decision because he looked at the travel reports, He chose to travel at a time when there's not usually any traffic, and uh, it just happened. And um, so it wasn't a bad decision. And it's amazing how much we get into the habit of saying we've done something good or bad um, choice-wise by simply looking at the outcome. But because the outcomes at the moment, uh, you know, are so difficult to know whether we're going to get, what we need to do is simply go back and say to our team members, this is about making great choices, making good decisions. Let's look at frameworks for decision-making. Let's look at critical thinking. Let's look at understanding the context and environment in which we're working. Let's put more time into understanding insight, analysis and context to then allow people to make better decisions, how they engage with candidates and clients, engage with strategy and each other, uh, you know, to determine the processes and procedures which will take the business forwards. So, you know, I'm not saying let's, do, let's look at you know, these things exclusively. Let's have a look at them that be the root, um, the root or the start of working outwards to providing the most relevant service. And I think that let's go back to the original reason for the call. Um, you know, where does motivation come from? Does it come from peddling fast and getting some bits of business every now and then? You know, working your nuts off and you know, potentially getting a result every, you know, every, every, um, every second day? You no, know, or does it come from sitting back, thinking about what we're doing and directing our energy in a particular way, which is not disproportionate to the amount of reward that we're getting? So, you know, I pretty much guarantee you that someone somewhere is making money. You know, admittedly, they're probably a Tory front-bencher with an investment in a PPE company. And, um, but and, um, I pretty much guarantee you that, um, that someone is happy, that someone is engaged, that someone is passionate. Um, so it's possible for us to be. You know, the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people, and I'm convinced of it, and the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is that successful people are prepared to do what unsuccessful people aren't. Um, and I think it 's that simple, and that isn't um, based upon working hard and um, that's on about and that 's just as much um, thinking about what they know and how they can use it to create more meaningful value so let 's understand our resource and, uh, and potentially play into it differently' um, There's a. Um, did I ever tell you the story of Acres of Diamonds. you know that story oh, I shall at, um, it's a great story it's a true story um and um uh, it's a, a diamond rush southern africa Rhodesia, places like that um hundred years ago a bit like the um a bit like the gold rush um, people were pulling diamonds out the ground sort finding diamonds all over southern africa and uh, so um this started the beers and people like that, these kind of companies um and uh, there was a farmer who had non-arable land and he decided to sell up and then um, and go looking for diamonds. So he sold his land, bought all the equipment, went looking for diamonds. He died penniless and alone. He actually drowned in a river. It's a true story. So he drowned in a river. And people who um, bought the land cultivated the land and found acres of diamonds. So, you know, the moral of the story and, uh, is that, you know, he went looking elsewhere for something which was already under his feet. And, um, you know, and I guess that we do that quite a lot in business. And, um, you know, is that we all seek elsewhere rather than thinking about, our, our capability, what's under our feet. So you know, the contacts in our phone, at, um, our contacts on LinkedIn, the people who we're working with, at, um, the clients that we've worked with and are working with, candidates. And I think that uh, once we start to get better cognition, that's tactical awareness, positional awareness, where we sit in the, in the um, matrix of our network, and, um, and how we can um, leverage the good work that we've done and our purpose statement as an organization. And, um, we've probably got enough under our feet you know, to allow us to enjoy greater success than what we're currently doing. And, to, and, a more, and, a, and also in a, in a more pleasurable way, you know, because we're, we're making the most of what our business already is. And that's the springboard for further success. <laughs>
1: Um, thank you, I like that story Jamil. Um, so look, before I pick on Gavin Hanrahan, um, has anybody got uh, a question that is person they'd like to, um, to, to ask Jamil? Mandy's there. Uh, yeah.
0: Hi. Mandy was well, waiting for you to be quiet.
2: <laughs> is that okay? Um, hi everyone. I hear what you're saying and it absolutely makes sense. We've been quite lucky in fact that we've covered our costs on the first couple of months where we crashed and burned sort of from March. But actually, everything that you're talking about, we're trying to do, but it's, it's my problem, and I think it's probably because I'm a control freak, but how's everybody coping with not being able to plan and not being able to do strategic things in terms of, you know, I can't plan for longer than a week because things are changing literally day on day pretty much. Um, And you just think you've got somewhere, you just, you know, teams start to come back to work a couple of days a week, et cetera, et cetera. And then they change their minds and and you think, okay, let's make another plan for three or four days and then it changes again. That's what I'm struggling with because my team don't know whether they're coming or going. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. And it's really difficult to move forward on a day to day basis like that.
0: Yeah. What's your business, Mandy? Recruitment. Yeah, what is it? Sorry. What? Oh, sorry.
2: Engineering. Um, but we've also got a, a GLA license. So we're just going into Harvest now, which is mental. Okay. So,
0: so what is it? Is it like um, a general um, manufacturing, yeah. yeah. aerospace rail? It's a general manufacturing. Yeah. Okay. So, sure. Okay. So, um, sort of perm contract? How do you work? Perm, yeah,
2: perm and contract.
0: And how many people in your team? Only six of us. Okay, fine. Um, OK, so look, I mean, you know, have a look at what's happened in manufacturing and um, uh, in general at, uh, over the last like, 10 years or so. At, um, you know, it's a phenomenal amount of change. I mean, so you look at you know, 10, oh no, 10, 12 years ago, 2008. Uh, um, uh, it's a phenomenal amount of change in manufacturing in that time, the last 10 years, not just in process and materials, but also in organisation. And um, so, you know, how companies have um, decentralised, moved location, um, how they've played into social media channels that, um, you know, hashtags only existed from 2008. So literally in the last 10 years, massive amounts of change. And um, so we deal with change very well. And um, I can imagine that if you went back over your plans and strategies from, and I'm, I'm, it's an arbitrary figure, I say 10 years at um, two thousand and eight two thousand and ten they're making a difference over the last ten years if you look at your strategies and I think you might be surprised how much they changed so no. although, you have, although you might you know no plan survives first contact with the enemy you know and I think that you know so so, so, so planning is important but uh but, sorry, planning is unimportant, but time spent planning is essential because you get to know your team members, you get to know some thinking, you contextualise. Yeah, so although we think that we've got defined plans and strategies, but, uh, the amount of change that's been in your industry in the last 10 years, you've probably had to sort of move with that yeah. and be more versatile than perhaps you realise. So you might have had some plans and then within that, you've navigated those plans to be successful. So as human beings, we, all do, we deal with complexity, uncertainty and unpredictability very well. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I was working with Nissan at a time when they had a 30 year plan. And, um, and that's probably, about, I don't know, whenever, eight, 10 years ago. I don't know how funny is that? And, um, you know, anyone who answered the question, you know, um, five years ago, which said that, you know, where do you see yourself in five years time? I thought it was completely wrong. So, um, so I think that, you know, what we need to do is to perhaps know that um, the issues that our company will face won't be that important, but the ability to form a community and team who can deal with those issues is essential. So um, let's start to, um, do away with planning and strategy. And I honestly believe that and I advocate that for some of the biggest, bigger businesses I work with, let alone six people because mm-hmm. you could be more nimble and more agile at six people yeah. um, and say that let's deploy resource to opportunity as we start to come to understand it. Wow. So the businesses who have been most successful in the last 10 years have been probably online based businesses, and um, so again, sort of you know, Facebook went from what was it, fifty seven million users, 2008 two thousand and eight to two billion users today. And um, so, online businesses have been successful. One of the reasons why online businesses have been successful is because of how nimble and agile they are. What they do with the internet is that they can test cheaply and then deploy resource to opportunity. So Airbnb and Uber and all these things started off as tiny little websites. At, uh, and then they got some users and they immediately put a lot of money into it. So, um, so the internet allows us to test cheaply and quickly. And in a way, uh, um, we need to do the same with our business. Because if you look at the change that you're going through at the moment in regard to your market, Brexit will affect it, 3D printing will affect it, AR will it, affect it, AI, nanotechnology, and, um, mm-hmm. it's affecting the manufacturing industry at the moment. So, so I think that this is just the hors d'oeuvre, and I don't want to say that to scare you. And, um, you know, I'm saying that because, you know, what you are building at the moment is an ability to be agile and open-minded, mm-hmm. which, will suit, um, which will serve your business well over the next year, five years or 10 years. So the change is going to be significant throughout. This is quite possibly a friend of mine, Terence, he, he says this is the slowest that we will be any time in our lifetime in regard to change, mm-hmm. um, which is a phenomenal to think about it. So I think that you know, we need to move away from what is perhaps past thinking, that we need strategy and plans, and into present thinking, to say that strategies and plans used to be useful, but now agility and open-mindedness is where it's at. Mm-hmm. Um, so the more flexible, agile, and open-minded we can be, and the more that we can say we don't have a plan, but um, you know we get, we've got a purpose. You know, and our purpose is you know, great customer service or future relevancy or future literacy. Mm-hmm. Now, and then what you move as a living and breathing organism with your customers, and um, you know you move into a space at, um, that moves with them. So you know, as your customers' needs change. Or even if their needs don't change, but how they want to access their needs change, mm-hmm. um, you can then um, uh, you yeah, know move um, uh, move with them in a seamless flow, yeah, Rather mm-hmm. than the rigidity of a plan, which, as you say, within a week or two, and, um, you know may not be may, may be obsolete anyway. Yeah. So okay. I, I yeah I, I'm, yeah it sounds counterintuitive, and I'm sorry to say it, but, um, you know because there you are know, lots of business people like plans and strategies. Um, but you know, as the world has changed significantly and we need to challenge some of the assumptions that our business has built upon, you know, one of those assumptions is the fact that all businesses should have a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they shouldn't. And, um, and this, is proof, this is proof that we don't need it. You know, what we need is great, strong leadership, agile and open-minded teams and our ability to be more flexible than we ever have been before.
2: Yeah. Okay. I totally get it. I'm not, I wasn't talking about a plan for a year or five years, even. That just would be nice to look ahead a little bit for three months and be fairly certain. Yeah. Can yeah no. No. I get my you. team, and I can, or I can take a new person on, or do whatever it is I need to do. But actually, you just can't do it, can you? And I'm having yeah, to do no, it day by day. So that's yeah. fine.
0: Yeah, please, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, I, I know exactly what you're saying because, you know, cash flow, you know, if we're going to take someone on board, we need to know, you know, well, the only thing I'll say is that, um, you know, again, let's, let's sort of challenge the way in which our businesses work. But you know, I, one thing that I see a lot is that, you know, success can, can, can bring a whole lot of ho- overhead. So, you know, success brings a whole lot of overhead, you know. So maybe we need to think about the business that we're trying to, to try to construct. Mm. You know, is it based upon good margins? You know, is it based upon turnover? Now, what type of business do we want to construct, which ultimately should be the one which serves customer best.
2: Mm. Okay,
0: thank you. You're
1: welcome. I can't, I can't tell you how pleased Grant is that our planning meetings are now going to stop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: said, you know what, I sit with GSK and Lloyds Banking Group and their corporate banking strategy teams. I always feel really embarrassed because you've got lots of bankers who've been over 25 years talking about plans and strategies. Um, you know, and it, it's, for me, it just doesn't work. You know, I mean, it, it just, it, you just can't at the moment, but, um, you know, things are so disrupted. But as I say that, yeah, you know, this, this level of disruption now, you know, it, it, you know, it's an interesting one because you could say that the disruption from this is gonna be even more significant. You know, and uh, not just in terms of global retraction of the economies, but, um, but you know, lack of travel. But, um, so, you know, I can't see air travel coming back you know, to um, what it was for another two years. So therefore, you know how do you you know how do you move people around? How do you you've got the mobility and um uh, you know how do you move people around you know, easily? So and you know and again it's going to affect world trade if people aren't traveling. So there's lots of significant macro trends, but also some of the micro trends that we're seeing acceleration of new technologies are going to change the way in which some traditional industries like manufacturing, at, um, you know are going to uh, are going to be affected. But it doesn't necessarily mean you know the end of certain jobs it means the creation of others No, and uh, and that's the interesting space
1: we've got a question from uh, or coming up from um jonathan around teamwork i believe
3: ah very well introduced simon thanks very much um, hi jamil um hi, this last six months has just changed created a massive change in our business um we always thought we had a good team but actually in a recruitment business everyone actually was just working on their own. They might yeah. have had a, a few people working in the team, but those guys are then working on their own vacancies and wanted to get their commission for their vacancies. And yes. what we've done over the last six months is, um, effectively, everybody works on everything. So um, so it's a proper collaboration as opposed to individual. Um, throws up a few challenges, I guess. Uh, firstly, in terms of, uh, the longevity of that and the ability to keep people individually motivated as the team starts to grow again uh, you know bringing new people into the business and this is this then would not be a standard recruitment structure of you make 10 grand you get a thousand pound bonus because it would then be a, a team if a, a event rather than an individual so what do you reckon in terms of of, of setting that new culture and um building something that people would want to come and work for where it's not just about your own individual endeavor. It is about how you contribute to a genuine wider team.
0: Um, I love it. I think it's brilliant. I think everyone should do it. That's my view. Um, <laughs> it's that simple uh, because you think about the stuff that holds you back as a business. So forget of individual recruiters. Think about, you know, as a business owner, you know, entrepreneur, what holds you back, you know, and what holds you back is people not sharing assets so mm-hmm. the protectionism, you know, these are my clients, these are my candidates, this is my job. Um, and unfortunately, when, you know, as a client, as a, as a company, when you come to deal with a recruitment company, you don't deal with a recruitment company, and then you deal with that individual. And, um, mm-hmm. So when people say that you know, we've got 200 recruiters in this particular space, well, it means nothing to me because I'm going to deal with you know one individual who may not want to share or find out from those other recruiters. And um, so, can you imagine a recruitment company that was truly collaborative and cooperative that shared knowledge to create new and meaningful value for the client? And um, I think you've got a differentiator. You know, the problem that um, you've got in recruitment is I always say it takes two to have a bad relationship. And um, so. Um, you're treated badly, and so therefore, it's easy to treat employers badly and, um, because there is not the commitment there. And there isn't a commitment for both parties and, um, because of the perception. And it's been a perception problem. The state agency recruitment and consultants are termed a perception problem. that these people aren't recruitment consultants, they're salespeople. Um, and I'll throw some CVs at us so they can satisfy their bonus and commission. And um, so. the only way in which you change your outer world is to change your inner world so to get people to see you differently you need to see yourself differently so maybe if um uh, we were organizing our businesses reward and recognition differently maybe it would um uh, it would create different behaviors maybe those behaviors and culture and would be a differentiator so if i had three recruitment companies that all came up to me to sell um, and they all sounded the same, they all look the same, at her, and they use the same processes and techniques. How would I choose between them? Uh, I'd go on price, that's what I'd do. And um, so therefore it's commoditized. And so for someone to justify their particular um, fee at her, based upon value creation and differentiation would be of immense interest. And the reason why it'd be of immense interest is because I don't want a vacancy filled, at, um, you know, I want an opportunity taken, you know, and it's a really big difference. And, um, so, you know, if someone could say that you know they can uh, not just provide the right uh, candidate capture techniques, at, um, but understand the business and match candidate aspiration to job opportunity rather than skill set to um, uh, job description, um, I'd be really interested. And, um, I'd be interested because it's language and culture, which you know you tend not to get from certain agencies. So, yep. um, so I think, I, I love the idea of collaboration and connectivity. Lots of people who are um, are, are getting it are talking about it. Um, and I think it's quite possibly one of the biggest strides that a business can make moving forward at the moment is to play into, com- is to play into community. So mm. if we can organize ourselves as communities, more so than um, teams or organizations, if we can understand the power of our networks and community, um, then I think that, you know, we can allow knowledge to become a new asset class. Um, and I think, it's a, I think it's, a, it's a great way forward. I love Thanks. it, it's really good.
1: Thanks. Great stuff, good, good question that, Jonathan. Thank you, and um, well answered, Jamil. Um, okay, uh, next? He's got another question. I'm going to, yes, I'll go well ahead. With that. Thank you so much. That's
0: all right. Um, so just playing back on some of what you was talking about earlier in terms of um, motivation, out of interest, what impact do you think the sort of non-work-related activities of an individual have on their work motivation? So, you know, having those external goals that they're focused on and achieving those milestones to help them, improve work performance because the work bit is very tricky to get people to be motivated at this moment in time, given the hardship, especially if they're on the sales side. So just interesting to know what your thoughts are on the impact. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that, um, I think that, um, uh, all, um, values or characters are, are, are transferable. So if people have success in one area, they can transfer it to another. So this is where it's important. So when people say to me, oh, I'm not confident, um, it's too sweeping a statement. So they may not be confident in one area, but they're confident in another. So um, I try to get people to understand where they're being confident and then transfer it across. So it's not true that you're not confident because you're confident at this, that, and the other. And um, so therefore you are capable of confidence. So I agree. And uh, I think the question is really about, you know, can people experience things in one place? Um, and does it contribute to their motivation in the workplace? Yes, it does. So it's not a bad way to get people motivated in the workplace is to understand what it is that they're creating, doing and achieving elsewhere. So, you know, I remember sort of speaking to, um, uh, this woman and, you know, we chatted about what we do. And she said, she said, I'm just a housewife. Um, you know, if you're, ha- if you're a housewife, wife, then you've got negotiation skills, man management skills, prioritization skills, communication skills, budgeting skills. You're amazingly talented if you run a home. and um, But she didn't realize the skill sets that she's got. and um, And I think that, you know, once you get people to realize the skills that they've got, um, then they perhaps may create, place more value on themselves and so therefore be able to transfer it or we can help them do it. So um, a good question to ask is what skill sets have you got that you don't currently use in the workplace? There's a really nice question to ask your team members actually. There's always someone who's like treasurer of a local golf club or someone who's, um, I don't know, chairman of a local charity. Um, and we can leverage that. It's amazing that you do that. Um, so credit, Because that must mean that you do this, that and the other. Yes, I do. Um, well, how would you like to be involved in this at work then? Because you've clearly got the skills for it, I didn't realise. Um, and it's actually quite nice for us to get people... What's motivational um, is when we get people to realise the skills that they've got and they don't give themselves credit for. So being a good coach is not giving someone new skill sets. Uh, being a good coach is, um, is creating a level of self-awareness, getting them to understand the skills that they've got and how they can deploy them to be better. So, um, so yes, in answer to the question, um, it's really handy to uh, know what people are doing outside of work. It does influence what they're doing in work. Um, there's loads of people, obviously, at the moment, who are doing all sorts, which are affecting um, their um, their ability to work well and maximize their potential in the workplace. Um, There's a lot of talk at the moment about servitude leadership. And servitude leadership is all about what can I do to help you and achieve your goals? So um, what do you need from me? And um, what are you looking to do this quarter? What do you need from me? And How can I help you? Um, How can I create the environment for your success? Um, It's quite a nice way to lead at the moment from underneath the team and um, and say that you know um, I'm here to support you and work with you tell me what you are after Um, and so supportive leadership servitude leadership asking the right questions more than trying to give the right answers is a good way forwards
1: so so, it's a comprehensive answer isn't it we're um so we've got a um it's a newly established health group within our network now. It's a WhatsApp group basically driven by uh, it's sort of Democratic and everybody runs it. Um, but I think what's come out and there are people on this, um, on this call now who are part of that network. And I think what's coming out is that we are starting to see people outside of their working environment um, bring those skill sets through. Um, and there are lots of different types of leadership that are going on. And I'm just going to choose Claire only because she's cho- She's built the last um, the last challenge that we're running, and it's fair to say, Claire, isn't it, that what we're doing outside and your six o'clock walks is probably really driving what you then do when you you log on in the morning at work.
4: Yeah, because I've I've had to learn that um, to have success on a daily basis isn't placement. I'm probably not going to have a placement, yeah. so I I have a little bit anal. I've got this little book and I have things I tick off every day. And it's my, what, how keeping, getting up in the morning and doing my steps, um, how much sleep I'm getting and just little things, and whether I've checked in on someone so that I'm staying part of a community and I'm building my community. So, um, and, but the, the health things really, really helped. And actually Simon, just to bat it back to you, that was because you started that two month thing over the summer and I found that it, I got off my backside, I was feeling sorry for myself not knowing, you know, like Mandy had said, you know, you can't plan, you don't know what tomorrow looks like. So I stopped worrying about next week, next month and just plan for today. And so getting up 5.30, 6 o'clock out for a walk for two hours, you can check something off your list. You've done something for you as an individual and sort of sets you up for, the, for a positive day. Um, much easier to go and make a whole day of calls or have positive conversations with your colleagues. If you've done something for yourself first thing in the morning.
0: Yes, totally. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But, um, so it's really important to do that um, and, and not enough of us are getting time for ourselves so um, it's quite nice to take some time out, particularly if you take it out um, uh, unplanned. So, you know, if you can say, do you know what, I'm going to take, I'm not, I was going to start at one o'clock, I'm not, going to start at two o'clock today. I'm going to go and do this instead because um, we see that as a perk and so because of the, um, the situation at the moment, we need to try and find the perks, find out why it's a good thing. So this is a good thing because on a Friday, I can now do this at um, 12 to one, and um, you know, or, uh, I'm gonna do this on a Monday morning, and it's different to what we were doing in the workplace. So if we can start to see the perks, it's quite motivational, particularly it's based around you know, having a walk, doing some exercise, engaging with others. So, um, and these little communities, again, it's a perfect example of you know, community outperforming bureaucracy. And the more that we can form these communities, the better. So, you know, even in our companies that, you know, got six people in the company, um, let's forget job titles and job descriptions at the moment. um, Let's just be a community of people who are here to engage each other, um, learn from each other, you know, and be better and and play our way into a better position in the future. So, um, uh, you know, it's not to be defined because as human beings, we can bring a lot to each other. As a job description and job role, you know, we're confined. So it's amazing how many sort of organisations will bring talented people into their company and then give them a job title and job role, and, um, you know, which puts them in a, in, a, in a cell. You know, whereas you just bring some talented people into their company and just as talented people, let's create something bigger and better than what we could create on our own. Um, it's quite nice to, you know, give people the empowerment but also the ability to share what's good about them, which is outside of their role. Yeah, and I'm always talking about it at the moment to, to again, to, to large organizations that, you know, do you recruit for cultural fit? Or do you recruit for cultural contribution? You no, know, and at the moment, I think it's really important to recruit for cultural contribution. But, um, you know, what people have, have, have achieved in their past is, is probably neither here nor there because that world doesn't exist anymore. So you can't interview someone in regard to past glories because you know, that world is not, no longer relevant. So, you know, what's going to be your contribution as a human being, you know, as an individual, you know, more so than, you know, what's, you know, what are you looking to uh, um, you know, do and achieve in your career or in your, in this particular
2: role?
1: Yeah, yeah, great. Sorry, I was looking at the, the comments has come through. Yeah, absolutely. But that, that cultural fit thing um, is kind of, uh, hasn't that... Passed us by now anyway if if um if rohan were on this call it, it'd be uh he would be shouting and screaming about this that the, the cultural fit and sort of work hiring people and work with people that fit that previous culture i mean if it wasn't already dead sort of last year or whatever it was it certainly is now isn't it
0: yeah it must be absolutely 100 percent. yeah yeah absolutely and i think that you know even more so now that you know people sort of sat alone at home with their souls you know, because you know everyone's had a chance to reevaluate what's important to them. So you know, as people start to reevaluate their careers in the in the context of their lives, um, I think people are going to want something different from their employers. You know, so I think employers are going to want something different from their people. You know, as we sort of change the way in which we live, work, learn, and play. Yeah. So I think this is the greatest opportunity I think for recruitment for recruitment companies is that companies don't know how to recruit anyway, and they're crap at it. You know, this is why they used to stick, you know, 7,000 pound adverts in the Daily Telegraph. You know, it's just ludicrous. And, um, you know, so, you know, spend 7,000 pounds at a, you know, on an advert. Um, it's a bit like me saying, I'll come around and paint your house. It's going to cost you seven grand, but I might not turn up and you pay in, you pay in advance. And, um, you know, it's a ridiculous notion. So, um, so I think that, um, so I think that recruitment cap, sorry, so I think recruitment opportunity. sorry, consultancies, have a chance to truly consult at the moment that you know it's got you can argue it's getting particularly hard at um, you know, or even harder at uh, to make sure that you are matching aspiration to opportunity what people's wants and desires are because they're skilled people for example and uh, what the opportunity of the company is so for that to be truly investigated by an independent and effectively matched can only really happen by a consultancy who specializes it. You look at the HR function in a large organisation. They deal with grievance procedure, wage disputes, pensions planning, and uh, recruitment is just one thing that they do. You know, that's why they're crap at it, but, um, because you know it's it's a political hot potato which is passed around, and no one really wants to get involved with, you know, particularly in, in skill short markets. And um, so you know, therefore, at, uh, there's there's a, definitely an opportunity for a conduit. You know, with good experience and knowledge, you know, to come in and make that most effective. And you can almost argue that the bloodiest battles we've fought for the, for the best staff in the future, the best team members in the future. Um, because um, you don't get agile organizations, you get agile people. You don't get resilient organizations, you get resilient people. You don't get innovative companies, you get innovative people. Uh, and so you know, whatever an organization wants to create, can only be created through their people.
1: Well, I think with an hour gone, and um, I don't want to stop it short, but that to me was an absolutely brilliant summary, accidental as it was um, and, a, and a wonderful way to end. I know Jamil is happy to stay on, so if anybody does have a question, then absolutely we we'll, we'll, uh, we'll stay here, um, but it's been an hour and you know mindful of everybody's time. so before we sort of summarize, has anybody got a question they would like to ask um, Jamil or, or any any challenge I want to put any one last? One last um, throws out a wave there, Will, or am I?
3: Well, yes, Simon. Yeah, um, I'm going to mention the dreaded COVID word, Jamil. Yeah,
1: fine. Uh, anyway, we've we've got to go. <laughs> yeah.
3: But it's not really related to business. Um, well, sort of is. We're being told all the time that you know I will, you know whether it be the football fans going back into the stadiums um business returning to normal this notion of normality returning to me seems a bit nonsensical um when do you think from a psychologist point of view we're going to be prepared to admit that this isn't going away and probably never will and start to deal with the problem on that basis as opposed to hoping for this miracle end sort of finishing line in sight
0: yeah, that's um, a good question. That's a massive question for two
3: yeah, minutes. Yeah, well. I, wanted as you, I wanted your brain power on it. <laughs> yeah. to no, you
0: know. um, okay, so you know, everyone on this call knows that um, broccoli is a superfood and uh, will help you live longer. Um, but no one ate raw bro- broccoli for breakfast this morning. So as human beings, we are experts at knowing one thing and doing another. Um, so, you know, I think that... um the problem is sevenfold when it comes to, when it comes to psychology. So, um, uh, first and foremost, to move people into different behaviors. So if you want to move your clients into different behaviors or team members, um, you need to have earned the ability to influence. So persuasion without influence is manipulation. So, um, uh, we should do, you know what we should do, um, uh, here's one for you, Simon. We'll do another call if you like guys, and we'll do it on influence and persuasion. We'll do an hour on how to influence and persuade. Okay, I mean, it's a really good one at the moment. I must admit because of, of how we need to work with clients and our team members. We have a whole specific hour on influencing and persuasion. There's lots of techniques. Caldini and Kip needed the best techniques on it, but I'll, I'll share it with you if you like sometime. Um, but, um, um, so you, know, you need to, to influence people and get people to uh, indulge in any level of commitment rather than compliance. Um, you need to have built the relationship. Now, I think politically and without getting political, at, um, you know, we are not in a good position. At, um, to, so the government have not necessarily created the right environment to create a level of commitment um, for, in regard to changing behaviours that will minimise the effects of the virus. So um, the thing even bigger than that, you know, our, our, since the Marshall Plan at the end of the Second World War, um, we have the wrong type of capitalism to, to deter a virus. So, you know, the market response to obesity is to pharm- pharmaceutical companies to create more obesity drugs. So, you know, rather than thinking about reducing obesity, reducing stress and all of these things, reduce the effects of viruses. So, um, so the systemic problems in regard to governance, public policy, healthcare, and, uh, um, and societal funding uh, have created the situation that we're in. So we now need to reimagine something different. Generating compliance isn't working because um, the trust in government and trust in big business is at the lowest it's ever been. I don't know about you, I don't know how much you trust the current government, but, um, but, you know, um, but I, I personally have very little, if not no trust whatsoever in the current government. So therefore, um, we almost make our own rules up when there isn't guidelines that we are looking to follow because we're not committed to the person who's issued it the relationship which is being built. So you know I think I think I, I follow personal guidelines. That's what I do. And um, so things which I believe you know are useful to keeping other people alive and keeping myself healthy. So um so that's what I do. And I think most of the people are doing that. Because of that uh, uh and we're not scientists, so our evidence isn't based upon science, our behaviors isn't based upon science, I think the virus isn't going away. And um, so we're not going to you get 60 million people who are going to you know, achieve a particular way of being and doing because um, of the division caused in the country. Uh, so bad governments. So, um, so the virus isn't going anywhere. And it appears that the policy is based upon just simply trying to reduce the effects of the virus until a vaccine is found. So but if a vaccine came up tomorrow, how many of you would take it? The more psychology and um, so um, so I think very few people would take it so because we don't trust the government or big business so therefore um, I think what will happen is that um, we'll live with the virus um, and it will probably be determined by what happens to the virus as it mutates and gets stronger or weaker in relation to how we organize our communities around it so you know I don't think it's going anywhere and, uh, and I think that bad governance and bad governments and bad Social and healthcare policies um, will mean that um, we won't have a chance to eradicate it. So, you know, if you look at glo- I mean, even if you eradicate it from this country, and um, global trade relies on global travel, um, global travel isn't going to happen for another 18 months, to the extent that we've had it, you know, two years. So, um, so I think that in regard to psychology, um, uh, people only comply for so long, and then we get compliance fatigue. And the fatigue um, comes on quicker when we don't trust the source. So you know, I think that individual responsibility will be the key to um, keeping the virus low. How much individual responsibility there is in this country, I'm not sure. So you know, it's a really, um, it's a really interesting
1: one. Well, on that uplifting note.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but don't, don't get me wrong. Look, I mean, here's the here's the uplifting note, and um, is that. Um, Here's the uplifting note, is that, you know, we're starting to see that the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment. Um, you know, the the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the healthcare system. So, you know, I would like to think that we all have a chance to change it now. But, um, you know, things are broken, we knew they were broken, and that's been proven. So now we have a chance to rebuild society, community, governance, our businesses, bigger and better than what they were previously. And then so, you know, our, our, there's a great opportunity. There is beauty in the chaos. So, um, you know, I think that you know, as we start to realise that things that we didn't think were valuable are incredibly valuable. Things that we thought were valuable, you know, aren't. We get a chance now to take personal responsibility for building a future and, and society that we want for the future of our children. Now, which is great. Um, you know, the only problem you've got is that the, um, is that the status quo is well-funded. So one percent of the world's population own fifty percent of the wealth. Um, it's really hard to move into a space where you know we're creating sustainable communities, sustainable business, and sustainable markets um, because it doesn't suit a few people. Um, so you know what we need to do is to take community action, personal action, vote for the right people, make the right decisions, and contribute to our businesses, clients, and communities in a way which is which is more purposeful. It's a good opportunity. I say good people make good leaders. I think it's that simple. I think mean, good people make good leaders. It's the same in your business. It's the same in government. So good people make good leaders.
1: Well, that's a much better way to end it. Um, <laughs> thank you, Jamil. Uh, and on that note, I should say um, that when, when it comes to good people, all of you good people um, and inclusive, obviously, of Jamil have contributed to... Um, 500 pounds worth of um funding to our last night dj save my life charity so we're helping communities in uganda who do not get underestimate just how affected by covid those guys are we never hear it on the news but i'm in touch with uh, communities over there and it's devastating and um you guys have helped fund um what is going to be some um some education and some um, some food for the next Um, Few months, so thank you ever so much for that. Um, And if ever there's a purpose, that's got to be one surely. So thank you all. Um, But on on that on that note, now that we're um, you know considerably over the the 45 minutes, um, on behalf of everybody, Jamil, thank you so much. Thank Um, you. Hopefully that has hopefully we we touched on everything that people um, wanted to learn. Um, That's a great little. Where did you get that from, Andy? I'm sure everybody will, uh, if they knew how to do what managers the done there.
2: Reactions.
1: <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, let's that. all reaction up there then. Um, do that. <laughs> thank you all. Jamil's put his email in there. As always, he's, um, he's open to anybody contacting him directly. And um, of course, you can always come by me should you wish to have. Um, yeah, you know, a session with Jamil. Um, we'll take you up on that offer um, about persuasion and negotiation. Jamil, yeah, that could have... be a
0: good one. It's a fun session. It's good. And, uh, it's quite useful at the moment as well, influence and persuasion.
1: Yeah, great. Look, well, uh, um, thank you ever so much. Uh, Jamil, stay on. We'll have a chat. Um, have a fantastic day. Work with purpose. Um, and um, we'll all get there. Thank you, guys. See take guys. care. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, guys. See you later. Um I've got a I've got a chance.